KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon, hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, January 15th. COVID-19 deaths in San Diego have doubled since the start of the holidays. We'll have that story next, but first, let's do the headlines. San Diego County public health officials reported more than 2,500 new coronavirus infections on Thursday and 53 additional deaths. In a grim milestone, San Diego County has now seen more than 2,000 deaths from the virus. A 19-year-old male is among the latest COVID-19 deaths, the youngest life lost in San Diego County. UC San Diego Health is now offering COVID-19 vaccinations to patients 65 and older. Officials there estimate that they can offer as many as 500 vaccines per day. Other hospital systems like Scripps Health are still finalizing vaccines for frontline staff, but might have some left over and ready for seniors as early as next week. California Governor Gavin Newsom is calling in 1,000 members of the National Guard. It's in response to an FBI warning about armed protests being planned by extremists at state capitals nationwide on Inauguration Day. State officials also put up a temporary chain-link fence around the state capitol. The California Highway Patrol is also refusing to issue permits for rallies at the capitol. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. KPBS On Demand is supported by the University of San Diego, offering professional and continuing education courses in the areas of business, education, healthcare, and engineering. For enrollment opportunities, visit pce.sandiego.edu. Between just before Thanksgiving and now, COVID-19 deaths in San Diego County have doubled, and low-income people of color are still bearing the brunt of the pandemic. KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser has more. It took almost nine months for the COVID-19 death toll to reach 1,000 in San Diego County. But since then, a period of less than two months, the region has surged to more than 2,000 deaths and experts expect the number to continue rising rapidly for at least another month, if not two. We're probably six to eight weeks out. Dr. Tom Laurie is the chief medical officer at Sharp Memorial Hospital. He says a spike in infections leads to a surge in hospitalizations two weeks later, which leads to another surge in deaths two weeks after that. So even if infections plateau in the region, which so far they have not, deaths will continue to rise rapidly for weeks to come. But he does not think the rising death numbers can be attributed in any way to a lack of medical resources in the county. Throughout the pandemic, we've been able to shift our resources, either move resources to patients or patients to resources with great efficiency. And that's one of the things that I think has been invisible to the public is we're so good at doing these things that we've been able to absorb nearly 50 to 100% above what we normally take care of. And it hasn't looked like we've done that much to the external side of things. 
But the pandemic continues to impact people disproportionately depending on their race and where they live in the county. Almost half of the people who died lived in East and South County, while just 11% lived in the North Coastal area. The county's Latino community is still being hit the hardest, accounting for 44% of deaths, even though Latinos make up 34% of county residents. Really hasn't surprised us. Nancy Maldonado is the CEO of the Chicano Federation of San Diego County. Because if you look at where those infection rates are coming from, it's, it's from a lot of these frontline jobs, a lot of these essential workers that are being exposed to the virus, and that hasn't changed. Maldonado says people in these jobs are less likely to feel confident demanding protections from their employers. And people of color are often treated differently by doctors. In how uh, people's symptoms are being interpreted and that a lot of oftentimes people are sent home even though their symptoms would um, indicate that they should not be sent home. All of these inequities contribute to a tragedy that people are still not fully grasping. Every single one of those numbers is uh, an individual that was, um, you know, a son or a daughter, or mother or a father. And, and we need to get back to, to understanding that these are all human beings. And um, unfortunately, it doesn't really hit people until it impacts them directly. Low-income frontline workers are most at risk because of both their living and working conditions, says Rebecca Fielding Miller, an epidemiologist at UC San Diego. Your grocery store workers or your um, pharmacy staff or sort of your Rite Aid or CVS workers, um, they might have also done things like gathered themselves over the holidays, but also the people coming into these public spaces are now higher risk. And so you have this dual, um, um, like two different like waves crashing into each other. For doctors and nurses working in hospitals, the daily death toll of the virus is inescapable, says Lori with Sharp Memorial Hospital. I'm an ICU doctor too, so I work Saturday and Sunday. And Every time I go into the ICU or into the COVID units, I'm always impressed at how calm, cool, and collected they are and how um, confident they feel that they're providing the care that's needed to their patients. That being said, for the first time in, a, in the last three to four weeks, they still have the same level of confidence. They still have the same calm approach to taking care of their patients, but their morale is wearing thin. That's the biggest thing is they just are subjected to this continual onslaught of patient care that we haven't had to do in, ever in our careers, any of us in our careers. While most doctors and nurses are now vaccinated, and there is hope that numbers will begin to slowly go down, Lori says there is still a long race that needs to be run. That story from KPBS investigative reporter Claire Tregesser. County health authorities are trying to figure out why six health care workers who received the COVID-19 vaccine on Wednesday had allergic reactions. KPBS reporter John Carroll has more. Things were back to normal at the Petco Park Vaccine Superstation today. The partnership between the county, UC San Diego Health, and the Padres working to get vaccines into the arms of the more than 600,000 health care workers in the county. On Wednesday morning, the operation here slowed to a crawl after six people experienced allergic reactions. 
We checked with the county to see if they've been able to determine what was behind the cluster of allergic reactions. They emailed us a brief statement saying, We have not seen a report with specifics on what occurred, so are unable to comment further. And they pointed out that the FDA and CDC are the primary investigating authorities. San Diego dermatologist Dr. Seaver Soon knows all about allergic reactions. He says if you've had allergic reactions to vaccines before, you should talk to your doctor before getting the COVID vaccine. He says immediate reactions like the ones experienced at Petco are potentially the most dangerous, but... If you have kind of these delayed reactions like, you know, fever, general wellness, body aches, those for me, those are manageable. Um, and you know, allows you to get immunity. Healthcare worker Deborah Walsh has really been through the ringer when it comes to COVID. The next day, though, I woke up and I had chills and body aches pretty much most of that day. Walsh first contracted and then recovered from the virus last summer. Then, on December 30th, she got the Moderna vaccine, the same one being given out at Petco. No fever, but just felt pretty bad, and I was pretty much stuck in bed all day. Then, on New Year's Day, Walsh says she woke up and felt just fine. From what I understand, if if someone has had a previous infection, um, that the, the immune response to the vaccine can be magnified. So... Um, that's what I got. <laughs> we reached out to Moderna for comment, but no one returned our call or email. Meantime, Walsh says she's preparing herself for the second dose of the vaccine she'll get next week. She says she's already taken the next two days off after that to recover. But even with what she's been through, she still has this piece of advice. I think everyone should get vaccinated. And this bit of reassurance from Dr. Soon. Allergy to vaccines is... Um not a very common event. While the county works to figure out what's behind the allergic reactions at Petco, the cost-benefit analysis for the vast majority of us seems clear. When the vaccine becomes available, we should all get it. That story from KPBS's John Carroll. The COVID-19 vaccine has arrived in Imperial County, where the pandemic has hit hard. But the limited supply is forcing tough decisions. iNews Source investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman has more. Imperial County officials say they're doing everything possible to get more vaccines, but they acknowledge the roughly 6,000 vaccine doses on hand won't cover all those eligible for the shots. So far, only the highest-risk workers in healthcare have received a COVID-19 vaccination. Here's Jeanette Angelo, the county's public health director. We have to distribute in an equitable way so that everybody who's doing that frontline work can get at least their highest, highest risk vaccinated. The county expects more vaccine doses this week, but also expects the limited availability to continue as the vaccination program progresses. That was iNews Source investigative reporter Jennifer Bowman. iNews Source is an independently funded nonprofit partner of KPBS. Local workforce experts from San Diego's top industries say they're looking forward to some economic rebound in 2021. KPBS's Jacob Ayer reports. The effects from the COVID-19 pandemic have impacted San Diegans in different ways. Black and Hispanic communities have faced the greatest financial setbacks among racial groups in the county, and people in lower income brackets have been most likely to have lost employment income. San Diego Tourism Authority COO Carrie Capich says those who work in the tourism and travel sector have been particularly hard hit. We lost about 50% of our revenue as a tourism community 
And we've lost 37% of jobs within our sector, which here in San Diego is about 77,000 jobs. Capich says that San Diego's travel and tourism sector is likely on a five-year recovery journey due to economic impacts from COVID-19-related restrictions. Coming up, in a bit of a controversy this week, the head of the California Democratic Party called the recall efforts against Governor Gavin Newsom the California coup. We'll have a fact check on that from our partners at Cap Radio next, just after this break. KPBS On Demand is supported by Arizona Raft Adventures, a third-generation family-owned outfitter providing experiential multi-day Colorado River rafting adventures through the Grand Canyon. Hiking, exploration, education, and fun. Only a seven-hour drive from San Diego. Learn more at azraft.com. California Democratic Party Chairman Rusty Hicks claimed this week that the growing efforts to recall Governor Gavin Newsom should be called the California coup. Cap Radio anchor Mike Haggerty spoke with PolitiFact California reporter Chris Nichols about that claim in this week's Can You Handle the Truth segment. Chris, set the scene for us. Where was Hicks speaking and what was the context of his statement? He was speaking at a press conference held by the Democratic Party It was meant to condemn the recall effort, which has been gaining momentum. Supporters have gathered about 1 million signatures to qualify the recall for a future ballot, and they would need about 1.5 million verified signatures by mid-March. If it does qualify, voters would decide at the ballot box whether to remove Newsom from office. The recall is a legal process. It's part of the state constitution and it was approved more than a century ago by California voters. During the press conference, Hicks tries to connect this recall campaign to white supremacists and others involved in last week's attack on the U.S. Capitol, but he provided no evidence for that. Here are the comments that we fact-checked. This recall effort, which really ought to be called the California coup, is led by, is being led by, right-wing conspiracy theorists, white nationalists, anti-vaxxers, and groups who encourage violence on our democratic institutions. So Hicks offered no specifics on those alleged ties. What about this description he made, calling the recall the California coup? That part is really wildly off-base and inaccurate. I spoke with University of the Pacific political science professor Keith Smith, He outlined the really monumental differences between a coup and a recall. He starts by defining a coup as a violent effort to overthrow a legitimately elected and legitimately installed government. But what the, the recall effort is not that at all. It's people signing petitions that have been circular or are being circulated around the state to put something on the ballot, which is a perfectly legitimate and prescribed process in democratic government. Chris, you also spoke with Sacramento State political science professor Wesley Hussey. 
What did he have to say? Hussey has written about the most notable California recall, the 2003 effort that removed Governor Gray Davis from office. He was replaced by Governor Arnold Schwarzenegger. Hussey says the claim about this being a coup is not only factually wrong, but could also backfire on the Democratic Party. I don't think it's politically smart. I don't think it's civically appropriate. Finally, Chris, how did PolitiFact California rate this claim? We rated this claim by the Democratic Party chairman as pants on fire, and that's our most severe rating. It's used only for the most extreme falsehoods. That was Cap Radio's PolitiFact California reporter Chris Nichols speaking with anchor Mike Haggerty. You can read full versions of all of the fact checks at politifact.com slash California. And for our art segment today, Promising Young Woman is the feature directing debut of Emerald Fennel that's already getting a lot of praise and awards. The film is playing at the South Bay Drive-In and it starts streaming today on platforms like Amazon. KPBS film critic Beth Accomando has this review. Promising Young Woman has brilliant moments, but that brilliance makes the flaws harder to ignore. Carrie Mulligan plays Cassie, a young woman who's not easy to decipher. She's smart, sarcastic, lives with her parents, and leads a double life. Each week, she seeks to expose men who prey on vulnerable women at bars. Here, she confronts a man who is about to take advantage of her because he thought she was blackout drunk. I'm a nice guy. Are you? I thought we had a connection, I guess. A connection? Okay. What do I do for a living? Sorry, maybe that one's too hard. How old am I? How long have I lived in the city? What are my hobbies? What's my name? That scene is one of the brilliant, savagely funny moments. It captures the way certain men think and then points out the problem in their reasoning. Promising Young Woman serves up female revenge, but in a manner that may titillate male audiences, perhaps because that's the only way to get their attention and teach them a lesson. But to do this, filmmaker Emerald Fennell hypersexualizes Cassie on her nocturnal missions, and that makes the film feel like it's falling victim to stereotypes rather than challenging them. It also feels like a revenge story that doesn't want to go full revenge. Promising Young Woman has some frustrating inconsistencies, but it presents a fresh female perspective and marks a very promising debut for Fennel. Beth Accomando, KPBS News. that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS Radio or watch KPBS Evening Edition at 5 o'clock on KPBS Television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening and have a great day. KPBS On Demand is supported by the Museum of Contemporary Art San Diego, offering visitors to the La Jolla campus special exhibitions, collection galleries, coastal vistas, seaside dining, and more. MCASD.org.